Hi friends, welcome to the FBC Zealand Teaching Podcast. We're a local church in Zealand, Michigan, and we desire to know Christ and to make Him known. We invite you into this same journey with us now as we open the scriptures and as we ask God to teach us and to reveal Himself to us in His Word. Thanks for stopping by. Lord, we, uh, we thank you for this morning, and we thank you that we can come uh, in your presence, and we can worship you, and we can um, set aside our distractions and our worries and anxieties because we know uh, that you care for us. So we pray as we, as we dive into Scripture this morning that your name would be honored, God, that our hearts would be open to what you would have to teach us, that our ears would be opened to hear the truth in your word, and that our lives would be changed because of it. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Well, good morning. Oh, I think you guys can do better than that. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> well, hey, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm glad to be here this morning teaching. It's been a little while, but uh, I, I'm excited. It's, it's kind of funny that, that Jeremy and Tom said they'd just take a vacation, just leave it to me. I'm the last one in charge here. But, so, but this morning, we are, uh, we're continuing our, our, our sermon series, This We Know. Uh, last week, Pastor Jeremy did a great job of, of really highlighting some key truths, and we talked about some ideas that there is just absolutely no darkness in God. And we talked about this idea of light and dark, and that we, sometimes we struggle to walk in the darkness when we're called to walk in the light, uh, called to walk into truth. Uh, and one of the cool things that really stuck with me, what Pastor Jeremy said, was that the relationship that we have, that vertical relationship that we have with our Heavenly Father affects the relationships that we have with one another. Uh, and likewise, the relationships that we have with one another, how we treat one another, whether we're walking in the light or walking in the dark, has an, has an effect on our vertical relationship with our Heavenly Father. And so this week, we are continuing in our first John study of, of This We Know, uh, looking a little bit deeper into that. And the things that we're going to be looking at this morning are two ideas, uh, grace and truth. And so kiddos, do you, have you, how many of you guys have your, uh, your sermon notes? Perfect. Love it. Love it. Those are our key words this morning, grace and truth, and you'll probably hear me say them quite a bit. Uh, so, but I think they're incredibly important. And not only do I think that they're incredibly important, but when we look at Scripture and we see uh, throughout the Gospels and throughout the, the letters of, uh, of Paul and the other disciples, we see this idea of grace and truth over and over and over again because it comes to the heart of the Gospel. And so, uh, if you're just jumping into the series with us, if you've been here, I haven't been here the past couple weeks, or if you missed one too, um, I believe that this is something that's really key to us as, as believers. But also, I think that it's really key to, a, to those who are maybe exploring their faith. Maybe they're not sure about what they believe. Maybe they've come to church today and uh, they got invited by a friend and say, all right, I'll check it out. Maybe you haven't been in church in a while, but I think there's something for both of us. So if you're a follower of Jesus, uh, I believe that the scripture we're looking at today should cause us to examine our hearts and see if what we believe through what we experience through Jesus, the things that we believe in Scripture, if those things are true, does our lives, our actions, what we say, what we do, how we treat other people, do those reflect what we believe? Does what we believe, is that reflected in the way that we live our life? 
And if you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, maybe you're still figuring that out. Maybe you're trying to figure out what all this means, or you're not sure if, uh, uh, if this is all true, or maybe you've seen too many Christians who say one thing about their, what they believe, but their life looks completely different. I would venture to say that this morning, if that's you, if you're in that I'm not sure I'm a follower of Jesus or I'm not sure if I want to be a follower of Jesus, I think this message is incredibly important to you and I think that you're going to want this to be true. Because as we look at the scripture and we see what it actually calls believers to, it directly affects you. It directly affects how Christians should treat you, should extend that grace and that truth in your life. And I would even go further to say that I, I would hope that after today, after we see the scripture, maybe, maybe God's working in your heart a little bit. I would hope that maybe you would be willing to take that one step closer to faith. Maybe those questions will be answered, or maybe you would say, you know what, I, I know some Christians have messed up, or the church has hurt me in the past, or I've just not had a good experience. I hope that you can see a clearer picture of what the gospel truly is and that you can walk away with a better understanding of why grace and truth are so important in our lives. And so, to give us some context, the Apostle John uh, is the author of 1 John, as we've talked about, uh, and he's writing this letter in his old age. And some scholars and commentaries are looking at it because uh, of the age of what this letter is, he very well may be one of the last living people uh, to have experienced life on earth with Jesus. One of the last living people to walk and to talk and to witness the things that Jesus has done. And so he's writing this letter, looking back on his life, looking back on the things that he experienced. And this is a firsthand account of the things that he witnessed in scripture. At the beginning of his letter that Pastor Jeremy looked at a couple weeks ago, says um, he's writing to testify the things, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have observed and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And he's writing these things because it's important to him. These things have changed his life. These things have altered history forever. And he's wanting to make sure that the people who read his letters, the people who read his gospel that we're going to look at a little bit today, understand truly what it means, understand the life impact that it has, and ultimately understand how you might come to know the Father through what he's saying. So, We're going to look at scripture this morning. If you guys would stand with me as we read the word, we're going to be in 1 John chapter 2, and we're looking at verses 1 through 11. My little children, I'm writing to you these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. This is how we know that we know him, if we keep his commands. The one who says, I have come to know him and yet doesn't keep his commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly in him the love of God is made complete. This is how we know we are in him. The one who says he remains in him should walk just as he walked. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old command that you have had from the beginning. The old command is the word you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away, and true light is already shining. The one who says he is in the light but hates his brother or sister is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother or sister remains in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother or sister is in the darkness, walks in the darkness, and doesn't know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. This is the word of the Lord. You guys can have a seat. 
And so this morning, I really want to look at Scripture and look at the, the encounter that we're going to look at through two lenses, the lens of grace and the lens of truth. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I had our students in our student ministry on Sunday morning kind of help us kind of, well, they helped do some sermon prep for me is what they really did, uh, but they helped walk through this passage. And we said, we're going to read an encounter, and we're going to say, I want, I want you to highlight and think in your mind the things where grace is experienced, or grace is shown, or grace is talked about. Uh, and then I want you to think about where truth is, where, where the, the idea of, uh, of God's commands, truth, where, where is that challenged? Where is that seen? Where is that trying to be enforced? Uh, because I think a lot of times as believers, we can kind of pick one side. We really like the grace because we like what the, the experience is, and we, and we like to, to be forgiven of our sins, but sometimes we don't like the idea of being challenged on our sin. Or maybe we really like the, uh, we're the, the rule-following bunch. Any rule followers in the, in the room? I was not a rule follower when I was growing up. Uh, but if uh, we, we like the rules, we like to say, no, this is what we believe, this is what we're standing on, and let's, let's forget the grace because you've got to follow the rules. But the encounter that we're going to look at this morning, Jesus shows us just how important grace and truth are in the gospel. That in many ways, grace and truth are two sides of the same coin. And so as we look at the scripture, I think John recognizes a couple things that are very important. One, God has called us to live our lives a certain way in his commands. We see this in verses 3 through 6 where it says, This is how we know that we're in him if we keep his commands. The one who says, I have come to know him, and yet doesn't keep his commands is a liar. And a little bit later it says, Whoever keeps his word truly in them, the love of God is made complete. This is how we know we are in him. Those, the one who says he remains in him should walk as he walked. Meaning there, there's, there's truth there. There's things that we're called to live by. There's the ways that we're called to treat people. There's ways that our lives are we're supposed to reflect the obedience uh, that we show towards, towards God. And a couple of things. He also recognizes that we struggle with sin. At the beginning he says, I'm writing these things so you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, and another way you could put that is, hey, when, when you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous one, he himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for our sins, but also for those of the whole world. So John recognizes that there is a call to obedience on your life, that Jesus in his commands and his teachings and the things that John saw with his eyes and heard with his ears and witnessed in, in, in real life, th there are things that you are called to, but recognizing that we are broken people, that we could not uphold the law, that the law was there to show us the, the many ways that we fall short and the ways that we absolutely need a Savior, a, an atoning sacrifice. So that's the lenses we're looking at. Grace, the undeserved atoning sacrifice of Jesus for the sins of the world. That advocacy with the Father. That standing beside you like in a courtroom where, hey, I, I'm for this person. I am, I'm this person. Put, put it on, on me. Grace. And then truth. Walking as Jesus walked. Obedience of God's commands as an act of love towards God. That our response to the way that we've received love first is obedience, much like a good parent, a mom or dad who cares deeply about their children. So when they ask them to touch the stove, not to touch the stove, it's not because they don't want them to have fun. It's because they care deeply about them, about them and they want to protect them from the things that would hurt them in their life. And so, we're going to look at an encounter today. If you have your Bible, we're going to, we're going to flip back a little bit to the Gospel of John uh, in chapter 8. 
So we're going to figure out why these two ideas, this idea of, of uh, being called to obedience and called to commands, uh, but also the concept of struggling with sin and, uh, and what is this gray stuff. On the surface, they can seem like contradictory things. Well, we can't be struggling with sin and also being great at being obedient to God. There seems like there's some contradiction. What do we do with that? How do we handle that? And we're, looking at, we're going to look at how Jesus chose to handle that. And so, in John chapter 8, to give us a kind of a, a, some cultural context here, uh, the encounter that we're going to go look at here takes place during an incredibly interesting time in the Jewish festival season. During the seventh month of the year, as was Jewish customs, Jews would gather to remember and honor God's faithfulness in the past and the present and the future. Um, they would have feasts. They would have different uh, ceremonial things that they would do. To honor the past, they would, they would look back and, and remember God's provision in the desert, where every day they were cared for, even though they had nothing to, to offer of, of themselves. They looked at the present, the Thanksgiving festival for God's provision for the crops of that year, a very agricultural uh, society where they, they were offering just thanks to like, God, you have provided us for in so many ways. We can, we can eat, we can have grain to store. And then the future, a plea for the upcoming rains and a plea for God's future provision. So, a couple of days that I would want to highlight during this festival to kind of give us some, some context to why the story that we're going to look at, the encounter they're going to look at, the thing that John wanted us to know this morning uh, is, is this. So, the first of Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, uh, the tenth day of the festival month, was the day that you would atone for the, the transgressions, the sins that you had towards God. This was kind of like your first grace opportunity. And then uh, Hoshana Rabbah, the last and great day. This day was an, understood, as one commentator put it, uh, to be the absolute final chance to have one's sins forgiven for the year. On Rosh Hashanah, the first day of this festival month, uh, one was asked to be inscribed into the Book of Life, that they would, they would kind of secure something in of themselves. And on Yom Kippur, the, the, uh, the tenth day, one hopes to have that inscription sealed, so grace is given, you're sealed, you're good to go. But in Jewish festival, in, this, in, in uh, tradition, uh, there remained opportunity for forgiveness all the way up to the 21st day, Hashanah Rabbah, the last and great day. And so each calendar day had very specific things that you were looking to. It was very God-centered. Uh, the idea of, uh, of, of looking for his provision and his faithfulness, even when it comes to grace. Uh, and so the last and great day uh, is, is, was, was the kind of key component. If you didn't kind of get your ducks in a row at that point, you were, you were out of luck for, for the year. This was your final opportunity for grace. After that, grace was no longer extended. And so the very next day, after the last and great day, is where this encounter takes place. And it's kind of an interesting thing that we're seeing, because uh, the Pharisees had a problem with Jesus. This guy coming in, speaking with authority, uh, speaking with the, the wisdom and the teaching, the, pe the people are getting it. They, they are wanting to, to follow Jesus. And so we're going to pick up into the story. John chapter 8, starting in verse 2. And it says, at dawn he went to the temple again, talking about Jesus, and all the people were coming to him. He sat down and began to teach them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, making her stand in the center. Teacher, they said to him, this woman was caught in the act of committing adultery. And the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? 
They asked this to trap him in order they might have evidence to accuse him. Like I said, the the Pharisees had a problem, and that problem was Jesus. He would speak with authority in the temple, the place that's supposed to be for the Pharisees and the other religious leaders. Uh, He would heal people. He would perform these miracles uh, that these Pharisees couldn't, couldn't justify or understand. He was forgiving sin. Just prior to this encounter, when we're, we're talking about this festival, we're talking about praying for rain and praying for God's future provision. And if you flip back into chapter 7, and uh, verse 37, he says this, Jesus, on the last and most important day of the festival, uh, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, will have streams of living water flow from deep within him. So Jesus, in the middle of this festival, where all of these Jewish people are understanding, you know, we're, we're praying to God for, for provision. We're praying for, that's where the water is supposed to come from, that, that water for our crops and the things that we, have to, that we need to, to provide for our daily living. That, that comes from God. And here Jesus, this guy, the Pharisees, are saying, what, what in the world, how in the world could he speak with such authority and say something like that the living water is actually going to come from him? There's, there's just no way. What, this is a problem for the Pharisees. And so with this last day of grace gone and passed, they want to trap him. They want to see how he's going to, to under, understand the scenario and how he's going to respond to this woman who was caught in adultery. She was dead to right, and the Pharisees bring her in front of Jesus and say, Jesus, what are you going to do about this? What would you say about this? Because we know grace is, is no longer available. And this is kind of my commentary, but I would venture to say that they think they got him dead to right. If he says, well, yeah, we'll just, yep, go ahead and stone the woman, then he's just no different than the teachers because he's abiding by the law of Moses. He's just the same. But if he extends grace when grace is no longer available, he becomes a blasphemer. Somewhere they can catch him and say, we, we got him. He, he doesn't believe the law of Moses. Let's get him. Let's take him out of here. This movement is done. And so my, uh, my visual aid this morning is a stone. Uh, I would imagine there was some anger that existed in this, in this encounter. As they're, as they're standing there, waiting for Jesus to respond, some of them probably have stones in hand or at least maybe looking around like, all right, which, which one are we going to use? A stone to be thrown. A stone in reality that was deserved. A stone, the, the law of Moses said, hey, if you're caught in adultery, you, you deserve to be stoned. And so this woman is standing in the center of these, of these religious leaders and Jesus, and I would often, that the disciples are kind of over here, like, man, I'm not, I'm glad I'm not Jesus, because I don't know how I would respond to this. And they're watching Jesus process this. Stones in hand for maybe some of those religious leaders. Here's how he responds. Jesus stooped down, and started writing on the ground with his finger. That's such a weird way to respond to that. <laughs> it really is. He sits there, they're waiting, they're like, all right, we got him, we got him. And the disciples are like, oh no, do they have him? And he sits there and he's just playing on the ground with his finger. And this woman, I would imagine, is standing there looking at Jesus saying, hey, you're, you're my lifeline here. What, what are you going to say? What are you going to do? I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm deserving of punishment. What are you going to say? You're, you're writing on the ground doodling. What are you doing? When they persisted in the questioning of him, which has got to be a weird thing, like, dude, why are you drawing on the ground? I asked you a question. He stood up and said to them, 
the one without sin among you should be the first to throw a stone at her. It's a pretty powerful statement. The one among you should be the first, or without sin, should be the first to throw a stone at her. Then he stooped down again and continued writing on the ground. And I would imagine in this moment, it got much quieter. And I would imagine in this moment, the disciples are, are sitting there like, well, I, we certainly can't throw stones. I wasn't really planning. Were you planning on th- I'm not, no, I'm not throwing a stone. You, no, okay, no, right? These religious leaders, these Pharisees, who thought they had him dead to write, who thought there was like, there's no way that he can answer this, that we can't squash this movement, stop what he's saying, take away his authority, or take him away and put him in jail. There's no way that he can answer this where we can't get our way. It's kind of interesting to me. It says, when they heard this, they left one by one, starting with the older men. The ones who've lived a life. The ones who've recognized that sin exists in their life. The ones who could not look back on their time of living and say, oh, yep, I'm good to go. I'm without sin. And even we talked about last week where Jeremy says, hey, if you're, if you're saying without sin, you're a liar. I wonder if John was thinking about this encounter when he wrote those words. One by one, they start walking away. Jesus is standing there, this woman in front of him, wondering what in the world Jesus was, was going to do next. I'd imagine the stones, as they walked away, were, were tossed aside because there wasn't going to be somebody who was going to stone her that day. That's an incredible picture of grace. Yet there's more to the story. When they heard this, they left one by one, starting with the older men. Only he was left with the woman and the sinner. And when Jesus stood up after he was drawing on the ground, he says, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she says, no one, Lord. It changes from teacher to Lord. No one, Lord, she answered. Neither do I condemn you, said Jesus. Go, and from now on, do not sin anymore. In one sentence, Jesus showed the heart of the gospel, grace and truth. Neither do I condemn you. And what's absolutely fascinating about that, maybe she didn't even realize this at the time, but what's absolutely fascinating, the only person who had the authority, the only person who had the right to throw a stone that morning was the person standing in front of him, or standing, standing in front of her. He had the right to throw that stone. He had the right to pick one off the ground and say, hey, judgment's judgment. Grace is done. You have sinned. And we even see it. The, the wages of sin is death, Right? But the gift of God is eternal life. He says, neither do I condemn you. He didn't have a stone in his hand. He had a, a dirty finger from playing in the dirt. He said, neither do I condemn you. Grace beyond anything she could possibly imagine. She was not thinking when she was going up with these religious leaders caught in the act of sin that she was going to walk away with grace that day. But Jesus wasn't done speaking. He says, go, and from now on, do not sin anymore. Grace and truth. 
He challenged you recognizing you and I both know that you've messed up. You and I both know have you, have, you have sin in your life, you have brokenness in your life, you have affected other people. People have been affected by your relationships because of the sin that exists in your life. I'm not here to condemn you, but your life needs to change. Grace and truth. There was no sugar-coated message of the gospel. There was no truth without grace, and there was no grace without truth. The perfect combination of what Jesus meant for the gospel. And so you're probably wondering what I was also wondering. What in the world was Jesus writing in the dirt, right? I think about that when I write it. And so I looked into it, and, I was, and, and scholars debate on this. Uh, but oftentimes, they, they look back into to the book of Jeremiah, and, and almost as a, as a, as a prophecy— and Jeremiah 17, 13 says, The Lord, the hope of Israel, all who abandon you will be put to shame. All who turn away from me will be written in the dirt. For they have abandoned the Lord, the fountain of living water. Jesus said, if you come to me, you will have living water. And in this moment, maybe he was writing their sins in the dirt. Maybe he was writing their names in the dirt. I, I don't know. I can't, I can't say with any certainty. But what I can say is that the Pharisees who were trying to trap Jesus and the religious leaders at the time who were trying to, to get him to a place where uh, he would be caught and they could stop what he's doing and they could say, hey, this, this is done, no more, absolutely not, they didn't get it. They missed the point. They missed the message of what Jesus was trying to say when he said, hey, I, I am the living water. I can forgive sins. I can heal you. I can change your life. I think what Jesus was trying to communicate was that grace was still available. The day of atonement may have passed. The last and great day may have passed. And you might think that the calendar determines whether or not you can receive grace. But Jesus says, no, that's not the story anymore. There was no stone thrown that day. Jesus chose to extend grace and call her back to truth instead, much like our Heavenly Father did for us. And so as I'm, you can flip back to, to 1 John now if you'd like, as, as, as we're looking at that, and, I, and I'm thinking, man, it, John witnessed that. John experienced that. John's jaw was probably open throughout this entire encounter, wondering how in the world can he speak with such authority if he is not the Messiah? He says, this is how we know we are in him, the one who keeps his commands. There's a clear picture that we're called to walk a certain way. But if you back up a little bit more, it says, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, he himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the whole world. That extension of grace is for every single person who's willing to accept it. That, ex that extension of grace that he showed to this woman when that woman was dead to right, there was no other way but to say she is guilty. That same grace is for each and every single one of us in the room. And if you're a believer, you've, you've experienced that. You've experienced the fact that Jesus met you in your brokenness and your sin and the, and the depths of those dark places that you wouldn't want to share with anybody else or you wouldn't want people to, to have a peek into the window uh, of your soul and see the brokenness that exists. But Jesus said, hey, I'm willing to go there. I'm willing to extend grace and I'm willing to bring you back into truth, back into that right relationship with me. 
And if you're not a believer, man, how beautiful picture is that? I'm sure you can recognize sin and brokenness in your own life, and I'm sure you can recognize there's times where even if you're playing the good versus bad or enough good or enough bad, and just as long as it measures out, I'm sure you're going to look at your life and say, man, I, I just don't know if I measure up. But what I believe Jesus is calling you to say, hey, be done with that game. Be done with trying to measure up and having more good things and bad things at the end of your life. What I'm asking you to do is give that all to me. I'm asking you to, to let me extend that grace to you that you would place your faith in me, that you would be willing to say, I absolutely can't do it, but I need someone to save me from my brokenness and my sin and to call you back into that right relationship with God. A little bit later in John, I think it's one of the most beautiful pictures of what this looks like. In John chapter, in John chapter 13, uh, Jesus is spending time with his disciples. It's the Last Supper. And he's talking to him about things that they're having a really hard time understanding. I'm going to be going away uh, where you can't see me anymore, but don't worry, I'm going to send somebody back. I'm going to send a counselor. I'm going to send somebody who, who will be with you. you. You won't understand. And he's talking about all these ways, and somebody's going to deceive me, and Peter being the one who speaks up, he's like, oh, absolutely not. I'll never deceive you. Yet he does three times. And uh, he's talking about things these disciples are just not fully understanding. And he says in John chapter 13, Verses 34 and 35. I give you a new command. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you must also love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And what's interesting to me is I would be willing to bet that the disciples in this moment probably understood what he said. Oh, okay, cool. I've seen you love people. I've seen you take care of people. I've seen you weep with people. I've seen you be joyous with people. I've seen you serve. You just washed our feet. We've seen some really good examples of what love looks like. Cool. We got that. We'll wash some people's feet. We'll take care of people. You said we're going to be doing some really cool things when you leave, so we'll do some really cool things. Um, we don't really know exactly what that means when you're talking about when you're leaving, but sure, we got, we got a good example. But they had no idea the depths of what that new command was. Just as I have loved you. In that moment, Jesus was talking about a whole different level of love. Jesus was talking about a sacrificial love. A love that in just a few hours after what they would experience this meal with him, he would show them what that love truly is. What that love is meant to be. That love that ultimately is going to lay down his life for them. That he would be the atoning sacrifice for the sin in their lives. The debt that they all owed, he would take that debt and pay it. And so when he's telling them, hey, I want you to love like I have loved you, what he's really saying is, I want you to love why, the way that I'm going to show you how much I love you. Jesus is calling his disciples to walk as he walked, as it says in 1 John. It says, The one who says he remains in him should walk just as he walked. To walk in light and not in darkness. To love your brothers and sisters instead of hate them. To treat people the way that Jesus would have treated them. So that when they look at your life, 
and they look at the way that you speak to one another and the way that you act with one another and the way that you talk with your friends at school and the way that you interact with people in the hallways or in the lunchrooms or uh, at, at, your, at your place of work or whatever it might be, people will know that you are a disciple of Jesus by the way that you treat them, the way that you love them. And this is why I believe that, that, that John thought it was so incredibly important to, to, to talk about this idea of don't say one thing, that you believe one thing and act it different because what you're saying is, is, is hypocrisy. What you're, what you're doing is hypocrisy. What you're saying is that you believe one thing, but you don't believe it enough to act on it. That you say that your life has been changed, but you're not acting like your life has been changed. You say that you believe this grace stuff, that your life has been changed by grace, but when you look at your life, you're still trying to measure up and do your own things and make sure you check off all the boxes and make sure that your life reflects the work that you've done. But Jesus is calling us to a different thing, to walk in grace and to walk in truth. And so I have a couple questions for us as we kind of wrap up this idea of, of, of grace and truth. And So if you're a believer, does your life reflect the grace that you've received through Jesus? Does your life reflect the grace that you've received through Jesus? When you have sinned and when you've messed up and you've hurt another person, are you looking to restore that relationship like Jesus did with his grace? Are you looking to, to create healthier relationships and rely on the fact that there, there's no way that you could do this on your own, but it's through Jesus' grace alone? The second question I have, in your life, is there evidence of the truth that you are called to walk in? And that one, I think, steps on our, our toes a little bit. Because if we're supposed to walk like Jesus walked, and we're supposed to love as he loved, I look at my life, and I don't measure up. I look at my life, and I've, I, I screw up, and I, and I treat, people, treat people poorly, and I'm impatient, and uh, man, I, I, the two don't measure up. But the beauty is, is Jesus didn't say, one or the other. He said both. I can pursue walking in truth, and you can pursue walking in truth because of the grace that you've received. Because of the grace that Jesus shows you for your sins, past, present, and future, you can walk in truth knowing with confidence that you have a God who atones for your sins, who advocates on your behalf, and forgives you when you mess up. And three, and I think this is where that outward challenge comes from for those of your believers. Do you express both grace and truth to, to, the, to, uh, to those God has called you to witness to? Because I believe every single one of us, I tell our students all this time, no matter where you are in your life, no matter how old you are, no matter what place that God has you, I believe that he can use you to reach those people around you today. That God has placed you specifically where you are, has prepared you for exactly where you are, so that you can bring him glory where you are today. And so when you think about that, all of us have that great commission on us, to, to reach the world for Christ, to tell others about what Jesus has done in our lives, and, and to do that, not just on a grand scale as a missionary going off to the other side of the world, but in your schools, at, at, on your sports teams, in your, in your workplaces, and the groups and organizations that you're a part of. God has placed you there purposefully. So do you express both grace and truth around those people? Do you live as somebody who's been saved by grace? Do you walk as somebody who walks by truth? Or do you pick one and forget the other? And so I have a couple questions for maybe, maybe you don't believe in Jesus. 
You're like, I'm not sure about this. One, seeing this picture and seeing the heart of Jesus in the encounter that we saw with this woman caught in adultery, knowing that that grace is extended to you in the midst of your brokenness, that that grace is extended before he even asked you to come back to truth. He extended grace first. He extended love first and then called her back. That same invitation is for you. Are you willing to take that next step in faith? Maybe to ask some questions. Maybe to meet with somebody and say, hey, at least tell me a little bit more about it. Or maybe even go deeper. Are you willing to accept that free gift of grace in your life? Are you willing to say, God, I am broken. God, I have screwed up. God, there's no way that I can get back to this, this perfection that we're, we're called to walk in without you. Are you willing to take that free gift of grace? And so we titled this, this sermon series, This We Know, because we see over and over and over again, John having a desire to instill confidence in believers. Hey, we, we know this. We, we can be sure of this. We can have confidence in this. And so I want us to make sure that when we walk away from this morning, there is something that we can be confident about. Many times in the book, it's, or in his letter, he says, this, we know this because, or this we know. So I will say this. This we know because we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous one, he himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the whole world. And he's called each and every one of us to be the messengers of that gospel, the messengers of grace, and the messengers of truth. We were plan A, and there was no plan B. So let's, let's walk in grace and walk in truth this morning. Let's pray. Lord, we, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for writers like John who could accurately account for the ways that you extended grace and called people to truth uh, in their lives. We thank you for the challenges of Scripture to to be obedient to you, not because of just some rule-following thing, but because you are a heavenly Father who cares about us deeply, who loves us deeply, and wants a life for us that's better than anything that we could possibly imagine, God. That we have grace beyond anything that we could possibly imagine. And our lives have been changed because of what you've done, not because of what we've done, but what you have done on the cross. And so we pray, uh, even for those who, who are maybe still seeking you or questioning uh, their faith, God, that you would, that they would experience that grace from you, that love from you, so much so that there is absolutely no denying that you desire to change their lives. God, be with us this morning. Give us the boldness, the courage to walk in grace and to walk in truth in the areas of life that you've placed us, God, and for us to be the messengers of the gospel that you've called us to be. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that what you heard inspires you to take the next step in your faith. If you have questions about this message or would like more information about our church, we invite you to check out fbczealand.org or call us at 616-772-4377.